At Chiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense with personalized service reviews that swap the car talk for straight talk so you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Where highly trained service technicians have your back, helping you take care of the small stuff before it becomes big stuff. Plus a full range of services from Pennzoil oil changes and tire rotations to filters, wipers, and more. We've got what your car needs so you're ready for whatever's next. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Find a Pennzoil pouring service center near you at JiffyLube.com. Thank you, everyone, for reading Go Long at GoLongTD.com and in the Substack Network for listening to the podcast, Go Long Podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Greatly appreciate everyone out there who has subscribed, joined our community. We have a lot planned for 2023, so be on the lookout for some announcements uh, down those lines when training camps start up. In the meantime, here is the happy hour with... Peter King of NBC Sports, uh, his Football Morning in America column, previously Monday Morning Quarterback, of course. He has been covering the NFL uh, as well as anybody ever uh, in every form in terms of long-form writing, feature writing, profiles, news breaking, and, and really just his insight, speaking to people in the know all over the NFL. And this hour was just packed with that a ton of insight into Aaron Rodgers with the New York Jets, DeAndre Hopkins landing with the Tennessee Titans, why he thinks the Atlanta Falcons, like we think here, could do some major damage this season. Jordan Love, what are the expectations for Jordan Love this season? Peter King has some thoughts down those lines. Mike McCarthy taking over play calling, the Dallas Cowboys. What's that relationship going to be like with Dak Prescott? A lot of Washington Commanders talk, uh, an organization that is seemingly perpetually in turmoil. Brian Gutekind's being in charge in Green Bay. Lamar Jackson. Peter's got a Lamar Jackson take that may differ from what you've heard around these parts. So just a lot in here. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Again, happy hours are uh, exclusive to our subscribers. Uh, We're going to have more of these as the season rolls along. Everybody can watch the replays. Just follow that happy hour tab atop the screen at golongtd.com. Warren Moon, Isaiah McKenzie, Rob Johnson, Jamal Lewis, TJ Lang. We've had a lot of former players and and some current players lately. So uh, check those out if you haven't. Thank you so much, everyone. We will talk to you soon. No introduction. We can't thank you enough for carving out an hour of your uh, your unbelievably busy schedule. There, there's no. Oh, it's so busy. I'm, I'm you're you're interrupting interrupting my Jeopardy watching. You watch that even <laughs> though Aaron Rodgers isn't hosting. Is it uh, what could have been there? <laughs> well, rumor, has awesome it Aaron, r- rumor has it Aaron Rodgers is going to be moving to my. Uh, former town of upper montclair new jersey Ooh, well why don't we let's just let's really just head first leap right into that topic because when we had you on two years ago i could be mistaken but that was right when the packers had no clue what in the hell he was gonna do and you like had the the theory like if i, if I remember right like you wrote here's something that mark murphy could do that can somehow mend the fences come together they did and he won an mvp lost in the playoffs they go eight and nine he's gone what happens in new york with aaron Rodgers? where where where, how does his career end here out there well you know i think you have to ask yourself it's the same thing um a little bit of the same thing Not, not exactly but i find myself asking a bit about DeAndre Hopkins, and look, I have not, I've been off, this is my uh, 10th consecutive Monday without writing, and I have really, uh, in my time away, I decided 
uh, right after the draft with NBC's blessing that I was going to just go on a hiatus. I, I'm just not a big fan of writing in, you know, the two to two and a half month period between post draft and the beginning of training camps. I think that there's far too little going on and people make far too much of the far too little. But anyway, um, I was actually on my way home when I started reading about from Europe, when I started reading about this DeAndre Hopkins, and I said, hang on one second. I mean, we should really think about, you know, kind of who DeAndre Hopkins is right now, because I think a lot of times we start to think, and I'll get to Rogers in a second, but I just, I wanted to give you my, my feeling about how, kind of how the NFL is covered these days and uh, and the way that, in my opinion anyway, I think that because everybody in the media who covers the NFL is required to get up and go to work in the morning <laughs> and figure out something to do. Yeah. And I get that. I I understand it. But, you know, for various reasons... In the last two seasons, DeAndre Hopkins has played 19 games and he's missed 15. He has had a suspension for substance abuse for six games. He, uh, at age 30 last year when he was in Arizona, uh, and I don't have inside information on this, but a lot of people think that he could have played at the end of the year and didn't because he figured what for, which uh, I doubt went over very well in the locker room. But be all that as it may, we also have a guy, DeAndre Hopkins, who, you know, last year when he did play, played nine games. He averaged 11.2 yards a catch. Now, you can blame the quarterback or lack thereof in Arizona, and I get it. He's not exactly going to a team uh, with, uh, you know, a great quarterback. You know, Ryan Tannehill has really had his issues the last couple of years, uh, mostly starting with the uh, playoff game against Cincinnati. Um, But anyway, I I just – I. And and so as I read, oh my God, DeAndre Hopkins, what a catch, what a find, oh, what a great player. Look, in his prime, DeAndre Hopkins was a great football player. And in Arizona, he had one excellent year, 2020. And then he had two injury slash substance abuse plague seasons in which he was just a guy. And so you know, I, maybe he'll be great. I don't know. Nobody knows, but I'm, I'm not, I don't necessarily believe because a guy had a great name five years ago that, oh my God, what a find. And I feel the same way about Odell Beckham, honestly, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what he does. Now, as far as Rogers goes, I mean, he's coming off a mediocre for him year less than mediocre, honestly. One of his worst years in the NFL uh, since he got the Green Bay starting job in 2008. And so, and he's a year older. And I know he's going to have great expectations, the weight of great expectations on him. Uh, And he sometimes is chafed at what he considers unfair media coverage. A lot of people in the NFL think Aaron Rodgers has rabbit ears. And so, I don't know. We'll see. I think he's got a chance to have a very good year, in part because I think his defense will help him a lot uh, with the Jets, and because he's going to have good weaponry on his offense. Um, And they just really, really need Garrett Wilson to stay healthy. That's going to be absolutely integral for that team. And we'll see if, you know, obviously Green Bay to New York is a big deal uh, going from the smallest market to the largest. But 
I've never really considered that to be all that significant in terms of whether a guy is going to make it or whether he isn't going to make it for a very simple reason. If you're a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, you are a national figure. It it isn't just, oh, you play in a small town so you don't get covered. You get the crap covered out of you. And people are talking about you all the time. So I don't think that is the big deal. I think it'll be just interesting to see the weight of expectations on them. And by the way, I think the Green Bay Packers absolutely unequivocally did the right thing. It was time to go. It simply was time to go. When I started hearing these, uh, well, you know, it's hard to get cell reception in my house in California. Give me a freaking break. You know, all that stuff, it's just, it's silly. It's excuse making. Rogers wanted to go and he went and we'll see what happens. Hell of a breakdown, Peter. It is crazy. I mean, I feel like he almost started lying is a strong word, but creating his own reality and was tripping over himself in every interview to the point where everybody heard the cell reception stuff. It's like, okay, what what the hell's going on here? Enough's enough. Um, but I loved your point on just how the NFL is covered this time of year. I mean, could you have ever imagined back in the 90s, early 2000s, even like the early 2010s that a lot of people, a lot of big corporations, big companies, they cover the league through Instagram gifs and memes and quotes like that's and it's just it's it's hype season. That DeAndre Hopkins trade. What a perfect example. It's universally praised as. Uh, that he's a star, but I'm I'm with you. It seems like Tennessee's kind of where these receivers are going to die um, for a while now. So I, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Yeah. I, the way I look at Tennessee is, you know, who would you rather have a short-term DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks or AJ Brown and whoever else you could have had for not very much money as a rookie in the third round of the draft or, you know, I mean, this, they could, they didn't pay AJ Brown, but now for two years, they're paying pretty big money to Deandre Hopkins. And, uh, and, and I just think uh, that the downfall, at least last year's downfall of this team uh, began with the decision to not pay uh, A.J. Brown and to trade him for the pick that became Traylon Burks. Now, Traylon Burks showed some flashes last year. He could be a really good player uh, and he could be a very average player. We'll see. Uh, but I think that Tennessee, at least my thought about Tennessee is it all comes down to the quarterback and Ryan Tannehill is going to have enough weapons to be a top 10 score for Tennessee to be a top 10 scoring team. So now I think it's going to be up to him. So we've got our usual blend of uh, Packer fans and Bills fans here on the happy hour. So if anybody wants to jump in and ask uh, the legend, Peter King, football morning in America. I didn't really introduce you well enough. I, I should have gone on and on, Peter. But we we all know that you're you're the you're the king. Well, no I intended. So. You know, we're we're all here together. We're all here just to talk, so we can talk. <laughs> we don't we don't have to do any of that stuff. But anyway, thank you. No, thank you for making time. So if, yeah, if anybody hey. wants to jump in, go right ahead. I'll I'll jump in, Peter. Thanks for taking the time tonight. So. I'm a big uh, fantasy football player, and yep. I love reading your uh, reports of training camp because I think that you can get a good idea of the drum beats for certain players um, yeah. by reading your reports based on your conversations with the coaches and the players. So when you're getting these, you know, when you're having these conversations with the different teams, you know, has there, have you come to learn how to parse through the information that you're getting about the players, because I presume there's some level of just baseline rookie hype or player hype. Um, but then if you start hearing something from a certain type of, of personnel person or, or 
or coach, you know, do you start paying attention to it more that, hey, this player maybe really is on a, on the precipice of a breakout? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I try not to ever, when I go to these teams, I try, I try not to uh, swallow everything, you know, all the optimism hook, line and sinker, because every team is optimistic in late July and August. But, you know, for instance, I'm going to go to Baltimore and one of my, one of the things, and again, I'm going early, I'm going like in the second week of camp. So a lot of, a lot of it depends, by the way, on when you actually go, you know, I'll be there, I think on August 2nd. And I'm not sure that even sidling up to John Harbaugh and having a clearly off the record conversation that I'm going to learn all that much about his plans because I, for, for Zay Flowers, let's say, and for how many snaps Odell is going to get uh, in that offense. I think it's hard to tell early on in training camp what exactly is going to happen. However, however, there are sometimes, I remember clearly going to, um, going to uh, Texans camp uh, the year that, I forget if Arian Foster was either a rookie or he was second year guy, but I think it was when he was a rookie. And I said, Hey, Arian, Arian Foster, the way that the Texans want to run the ball and the fact they have a pretty good offensive line, don't really trust their passing game as much as you would want them to. I think Arian Foster's got a chance to, to have a huge year for this team. And, you know, those are the kind of things you can get a feel for things like that. But I've also been wrong an awful lot when I leave a place and think player X is going to be good and, and all that stuff. I'm the guy who the year, the first year Steve Spurrier was the coach in Washington uh, and fantasy football was like a 20th of what it is now. Um, I told everybody to draft Danny Werfel. So I oftentimes say to people, you know, I might know a little bit more than you know just by reading and scouring the internet and all that stuff, and I get it. But I've gotten to the point where I try not to say, hey, like at some point in the next, you know, month, six weeks, I'll either write or do a video on, you know, here are the fantasy, here's 10 things I think you should know about fantasy football from my trip. And I'll try to pick out a few guys. And I'll also say, I would not take player X. You know, I, so I, you know, that I will end up having a decent feel for it. But the other thing is, after having been in in it for so long, you sort of know who's real and who's blowing hot air. Um, You know, like for instance, I'm going to go to Atlanta and I I really trust Arthur Smith. And if I say to him, gut feeling, how many touches a game for Bijan? I think he'll give me his gut feeling. Uh, And, you know, Uh, tell me about Kyle Pitts and Desmond Ritter and all this other, I'll be able to get a pretty good feel out of there. There are some places where you're really not going to get a very good feel, but you know, you just try to make sure that honestly, you try to make sure you don't mislead people. That's the thing I, I really try to do when I'm looking, because I realize how important to so many of my readers and to followers in any, uh, you know, of any sort, how important fantasy football information is. So, you know, I, I just try to be as honest as I can when I'm at each camp and I'm talking to the people who are going to be involved in whether Bijan Robinson gets 17 touches a game or nine. Are there any tells like when somebody's bullshitting you and you know, this is, this is a bunch of hot air uh, one way or another. Are there like, is it body language? Is it tone of voice? Like, how do you, 
How do you tell? Mainly, Tyler, it's... I know I have a pretty good feeling after being around a lot of these people for a long time uh, of it's the same thing as finding out stuff about the draft. You have a pretty good feel because for such a long time, many of these guys I've, I've known ever since they've been in the NFL. So, but they're also new people. Like I'll be in Indianapolis. I don't really know Shane Steichen well. Uh, And I mean, I know, I know Chris Ballard pretty well, the general manager, but you also have to realize that a lot of these guys, when you're talking to them, they might think they know what it looks like now. But a lot of times, too, somebody gets hot at the beginning of the season and they just really can't tell. So I I don't think I think it's overrated how many people in the NFL will lie to the media. I really do. I don't think necessarily that a lot of people lie per se, but I think that they will do the best job they can in not telling you the whole truth. And I, and I do think there's a difference. That's so perfectly said. Hey, Peter, um, kind of following up on that, Matt LaFleur's has spent all off season kind of downplaying expectations for Jordan Love. Do you think that's um, – how much truth do you think – do you think that's just kind of setting expectations for fans, for the team, or for Jordan? Well – I guess the way I would look at that is, you know, if you looked at, look back at the first year that, that Brett Favre was a starter, he wasn't very good. You look back at the first year that, that Aaron Rodgers started uh, and he had his career high in interceptions uh, and the Packers went, I think six and 10. Uh, and, and so I, I think that it'd be fairly unrealistic with what will likely be the youngest wide receiver core in football and with uh, an offensive line where a couple of guys are getting pretty long in the tooth. I think it'd be unrealistic for Matt LaFleur to say anything but that because I think, first of all, you know, Jordan Love in his first two first three years in the NFL has had one game with a, a chunk, whatever it was, three or four series, where he actually looked like a very promising player. And you look at Aaron Rodgers in his first three years, uh however many passes he threw, probably like 60 or 70 balls, you really had no idea whether he was going to be any good. I remember Bob McGinn, I think in training camp of his third year, was really kind of, I don't want to say altogether negative, but he just thought that Rodgers had a long way to go. Now that might've been his second year. But I remember one year when I was in Green Bay, um, uh, you know, even though Favre was still there and you thought he was going to play forever, Rodgers was not doing great in training camp. So, but but I, I only say that because I don't really expect great things out of Jordan Love this year. And I think it would be unrealistic to do so with the support system he has and with the fact that they're kind of throwing him to the wolves now after he hasn't had a lot of chances to play. This is where we got to shut it down, Peter. This is a Jordan love friendly space. We're just going to have to, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like Jordan love. I think he's got a chance to be good, but 
I think it's really hard for young quarterbacks to be great early on. And, and look, you might say to me, geez, like if you said to me right now, give me your one kind of upset pick. I, I think everybody, uh, as we sit here on July 17, nobody would be that surprised to, to hear that I'm very bullish on the lions as a lot of people are. But I'll tell you a team I'm bullish on, too, is the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, to do very well in their division, maybe win their division. We'll see. And you might say, well, geez, how come you're, you know, just so-so on Jordan Love and you're apparently bullish on uh, Desmond Ritter? I don't know whether I'm bullish on Ritter or not. I do know that the Atlanta Falcons have a top eight. They're in the, they're in the top quartile in the NFL in terms of offensive weaponry. There aren't many teams that are going to have a backfield with, you know, with a, with a, uh, a dual threat weapon like, Bijan Robinson and, in, in, you know, Steve Sarkeesian around the time of the draft told me that, you know, he could have easily converted him to wide receiver. And if they really needed him to be a wide receiver, he would have been the best guy on their team. So, you know, you got a double threat guy in Bijan. But remember, Tyler Algier was a guy who I voted for offensive rookie of the year last year you know, on a moribund offense for him to get over a thousand yards for him to have some huge days, I thought was a a really great performance. So they obviously have a good young offensive backfield. Kyle Pitts needs to play better. We all know that, Uh, you know, Cordero Patterson is an incredible weapon. Um, And I think, uh, you know, their receivers, their young receivers, you know, including Drake London are, are obviously have a chance to be real good. So my point is, I think the tools around him that Desmond Ritter has um, are going to stand him in really good stead is he, I don't think he has to be the second coming. I think he's got to be competent. I don't know whether Desmond Ritter is going to be competent, but I also don't think that's going to be, a, you know, a transcendent quarterback division in in 2023 either. I'm right there with you, too. I know Ritter isn't exactly Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, but like Cincinnati two years ago, Jacksonville a year ago. I mean, Atlanta went nuts in free agency because they had the money to spend. You might as well spend it. I mean, they added some really good players, Jesse Bates, Calais Campbell. And doesn't it seem like they're a team, and we don't have to talk about the Falcons for an hour, but I just love that point. Like they're a team built in a way that defenses across the NFL aren't built to stop. Like they are going to punch in the mouth, right? When a lot of teams have 230 pound linebackers, you know, front, their defensive lines are, are so built now to stop the wide zone. They're kind of moving laterally. Well, you know, Arthur Smith's gonna get guys going fast uphill I don't know. I mean, it's that's definitely a team. I I know everybody's optimism is through the roof this time of year, but I I'm right there with the Atlanta Falcons. You know, the one other thing I would say about the Falcons is that you know Arthur Smith is going a little bit counterculture. You know, if you think about it, okay. You know, think about this. You know, in two straight years, he basically has in the top 10, taken formidable offensive weapons, you know, in Drake London and Bijan Robinson. And if you, if you look at the other players they have right now, you know, I kind of look at it like, like I remember being in Vegas camp last year and the star of the day that I, when I was there was Mac Hollins. And I think he's a really, really interesting prospect for them the other real interesting prospect uh who tom brady absolutely loved he couldn't stay on the field a lot he was hurt some 
so I I don't know what that means now is is Scotty Miller uh the smurfy little slot receiver I I just I just have a feeling that that this coach this coaching staff is really going to know how to use some extremely uh good weapons uh on this offense Hey Peter, I um, I'm thinking back to that interview you did at the uh, Mike McCarthy barn uh, up outside in uh, in Green Bay a couple of years ago. Yeah. And um, as he, you know, gets ready to assume his play call duties in Dallas again, um, I'm curious if you think there's, you know, he's evolved. Like if he learned from that time off, if if you think we're really going to see a different Mike McCarthy in that role, because I, I'm super intrigued by Dallas. I think it looks kind of from the outside, like a really volatile, you know, situation in a number of ways. And curious kind of what you're thinking as you prepare for your camp visit there in this season. It's it's odd. I'm I'm only going to see the Cowboys in a preseason game in Seattle. I'm not going to go to their camp, but I'm going to spend some time with them after that game. Uh, so I don't think I'm going to see, for instance, I don't think I'm going to see the ones on offense do very much, but be that as it may, I I just think that what happened in Dallas is that Mike was uncomfortable with a few things they were doing on offense and a few uh a few of the the things they did play calling I think he was uncomfortable with that. And that's, it's another reason. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily anti Mike McCarthy taking this over. He knows what he wants his offense to be. And when his offense has the weaponry, it's really, really good. I, I do think though that, you know, I said this after last season ended. And again, I think this is a bit of a controversial way to look at it. But if you gave me my choice last year, you know, at the end of the season, between a healthy Dak Prescott and a healthy Brock Purdy, I'd take Purdy. Now, that isn't all performance related. Uh, it has something to do with the fact that uh, I don't want to pay Dak Prescott a jillion dollars. I don't want to pay a lot of quarterbacks a jillion dollars. And I don't, I'm not trying to be an old fuddy duddy about this, but I would really like to see Dak Prescott play great in big games, like in, in really big games. And I think that is something that he still needs to do. Now, after in 2021, I was I was very much a I was very much on the Dak Prescott bandwagon. You know, he threw for whatever 4,500 yards or whatever it was, mid 30s touchdowns, kept his interceptions down, and and I I just thought he had really evolved and was really at one. Uh, with McCarthy in that system. But last year, even though, you know, obviously he was hurt a little bit of the time last year, I don't think that he continued his evolution. And I think one of the things you're going to see Mike McCarthy do with him, I think this is just my feeling. I think he's going to coach him a little bit harder than he has been coached. That's just how I look at it. I think McCarthy sees a quarterback who's talented, who probably is going to be the long-term Cowboys quarterback. But and this kind of one of the same problems I have with Lamar Jackson has not been a good playoff quarterback. And in the NFL, that is what it's about. It's about playing great when the games are the biggest. Dak Prescott has won two playoff games. And, you know, he's simply got to do better than that. So I think I look at McCarthy this year. I think he's going to coach this quarterback a little harder. 
And, you know, the one thing I do like about what the Cowboys did last year, they said, look, we know we're paying um, Ezekiel Elliott, whatever the number was last year, I forget, 10, 12 million bucks, whatever it was. But the fact is, Tony Pollard's a better football player, and he is. And maybe he's not better on the goal line, but that's about the only place he isn't better than Ezekiel Elliott. And the Cowboys last year finally came to their senses. And, you know, you got to be careful because, you know, Tony Pollard is a little bit like, uh, you know, so many of these pitchers in baseball now where if you overuse them uh, because they're just not simply being used to being horses the way they were in Nolan Ryan and Bob Gibson's day, that you're going to wear them out. And I do think that they were smart about Tony Pollard, but they also know that Tony Pollard is a, is better in today's football uh, for a running game uh, than Ezekiel Elliott is. So good for him. Uh, Apparently he'll, I guess he'll play under the franchise tag. And uh, I think now you look at it and you look at, Dallas and I I just think you're you know I think Mike is going to be demanding of Dak Prescott not to say that you know in you know last year that a lot wasn't demanded of him it was but I think he's going to get coached harder this year Peter what what to you just defines a Mike McCarthy offense you know what I mean because you know back when I covered Green Bay it was a lot of Aaron Rodgers on autopilot doing his thing, changing plays, second reaction. Didn't have a lot of respect for Mike's offense pretty early on, but they, I mean, they had a lot of success, so it's hard to figure out who's who deserves credit for that. Um, but then it kind of ran its course. I don't know. You think of like Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, a lot of these coaches around the NFL, Sean Payton, you think you kind of know what, what defines their offense schematically, I, you know, if you were to ask me, like, what, what is a Mike McCarthy offense? I don't know if I could really give you an answer right now. I don't know. Cause, you know, the, the play calling's kind of been in and out of his hands. It wasn't Green Bay. It is, it is here in Dallas. It's, it's always hard to tell who's doing what behind the scenes, but what is it to you? I think he, you know, when I have the times I've talked to him, he's so huge on balance. And, you know, I think one of the things that you look at in a McCarthy team is, you know, last year they were, I'm going to guess, somebody I'm sure could figure this out, but they were about 53, 54% uh, pass, you know, 47% run, something like that. And I think that's about where McCarthy wants to be because I think he knows that, you know, he will pair Tony Pollard with somebody else in the backfield. And last year, even though uh, Ezekiel Elliott had more, uh, more, more uh, uh, rushes, you know, he was way behind him in yards and like a yard and a half behind him. Uh, in yards per carry, something like that. And I think one of the things that McCarthy wants to do is I think he always would like to have a team that's going to run, say, 45% of the time. Because I think he believes that their quick strike ability is good enough. I mean, if you look at it, the last half of last season, you know, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm proud. I'm going to be off a little bit, but I think in the last half of last season, they, they had 40 points or more in a game four times. And uh, it, it might be a little bit more than half, but I think he believes that that's the kind of stuff that works. I bet if you go over a bunch of those guy games, it's not Dak Prescott every game throwing for 410 well I mean because he obviously didn't have that kind of year and uh you know obviously there was 
whatever, whatever it was, four or five starts for Cooper Rush. But I think I look at this as McCarthy is going to prove this year that the run isn't dead. And I think he is not, he, I, I, I'm fairly sure that he is not convinced that Dak Prescott uh, should be a guy who throws it 650 times a year. I think he believes that, you know, if Dak can play a 17 game season, you know, you throw it, uh, you know, 30, 33 times a game and you really try to eat the clock a lot. They've got a very good offensive line. And I think that's the kind of offense you'll see with them this year. Good stuff. Hey, Peter, I have a question. Um, I had a question about what's going on in Washington Redskins or Washington Commanders Generals. Yep. Um, it sounds like uh, Lee's going to uh, Minneapolis to vote on, um, you know, changing ownership. But an article came up with ESPN about uh, Raiders feeling they uh, the letters from Gruden or the emails from Gruden were leaked and everything. And now today they're coming out, the guy that does the finance um, is hiring an attorney to represent him that the Washington was cutting corners and skimming off the top and stuff like that. Is the NFL going to kind of be done with that? Is that going to get swept under the rug? Is more things you think are coming down the road for for Washington? Um, where are we kind of going with this investigation and that? There's a lot of people around the NFL who will lose a lot of respect for Roger Goodell if he doesn't release a full and a full report replete with details of what happened inside that franchise. Um, and look, uh, Don Van Nat and Seth Wickersham have done a tremendous job reporting on all those issues related to Snyder and good for them. It's been very, very needed, but Roger Goodell knows he needs to come clean. He's on the record two or three times now vehemently saying we will release a report. What bothers me about what the NFL has done in this case is they have basically let Daniel Snyder be the tail that wags the dog. It's clear that it was total bullcrap that they didn't release um, the Beth Wilkinson report on this team. And they were doing it because they felt like, listen, if we just play nice with Dan Snyder, he's going to go away. And that's how it looked six weeks ago. And again, I've done zero reporting on it. I've been off for two months. So I don't really know a lot. I just know there's absolutely no way that uh, that anybody in the NFL uh, wants Daniel Snyder to own this team. And they basically need him to disappear. Now, the only other thing I would say about all this is that, you know, with a lot of the reporting, and I, I read the uh, the Wickersham Van Natta story, the most recent one from last week. But the thing that that I took away from that is that, you know, if you give Dan Snyder an inch, he's going to take a mile. And so the NFL, I, I think the NFL, what the NFL needs to do right now is if he continues to try to be all mealy-mouthed and and not say directly what he plans to do, even though he has this, you know, 600 and whatever, or $6.05 billion deal uh, to sell the team to the Josh Harris group. The NFL has got to stop namby-pambying with Dan Snyder, period. You know, they need to say, in essence, look, we're going to make it impossible for you to continue to own this team. You want to be Al Davis? Okay, we'll take you to court till the cows come home. You'll be the most reviled man in the history of Washington sports. You are now, and it'll be three times as bad. Because if you hold on to this team, you will be hated like no man has ever been hated. And we're giving you the opportunity to get a golden parachute and to get out. And you need to do that. 
And, and look, there's little doubt in my mind where the, uh, where the, uh, where that stuff was originally leaked. And to me, I, I've believed all along, not that it's anything I've ever proven, but I've just had a gut feeling that it has Washington, some Washington person's fingerprints all over it. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But the longer this goes on, the more that it just leads, leaves that team twisting in the wind. And a team that, uh, I, I mean, last year, I remember, you know, this was a team that was playing very good defense in the middle of the season. They won six out of seven games. And I just said, this is, a t- I thought they'd make the playoffs. And, and then they collapsed down the stretch. And the only way you're going to fix this team is to get some degree of stability. Figure out whether Howell's the quarterback this year. If not, move heaven and earth to move up to get one of those really good ones. And uh, But they're not doing anything positive as long as Daniel Snyder owns that team. You know, it's one of those things, the older you get, the more you realize how important strong, stable ownership is in pro football. You know, Jim Monas says it all the time in our podcast, like, it all starts with ownership. If there's chaos at the top, everything is just going to uh, crumble like a house of cards, isn't it? You probably have seen it year to year to year. Well, you know, there's two things that really determine, I, I would say, Ownership is number three, but there's two things that are vitally important, in my opinion. One is a quarterback. Two is a very strong coach who can put his fingerprints and imprint on the team. And then, obviously, what happens with an owner? And and look, it isn't necessarily a single person, but because when I think of the Green Bay Packers right now, I think of uh, I think of Brian Gutekunst as the driving force in that organization. And, you know, they don't, Mark Murphy is the, you know, in essence, the de facto owner. And I get that, but, but the guy who's driving the boat is, is Brian Gutekunst. And I'm sure that, that people in green Bay might have differing opinions on that, but Look, the reason why Aaron Rodgers is gone, I think, is not only because Aaron Rodgers wanted to be gone, but it's because Brian Gutekunst said, listen, if I can't get this guy on the telephone, if I can't, if he can't make time for me to fly to the West Coast and talk to him face to face, we got to go. It's time to go. And I, I think that that is exactly what happened. And I think in that particular case, I applaud the Green Bay Packers because think back now. First, it was Ron Wolf, you know, told everybody, hey, get out of the way. Uh, I'm putting Holmgren and Favre in charge. And they're, they're the ones who are going to run this team right now. And then, you know, when it was, when Favre waffled year after year after year about whether he was going to play, wasn't doing anything in the offseason, they said, okay, listen, Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy, you know, they say, you know, we're moving on to Aaron Rodgers. And now Matt LaFleur and, and uh, uh, you know, Brian Gutekunst are doing the same thing. So, yes, ownership is vitally important, but in Green Bay, it's different. You know, it just works in a different way. And and look, I think that strong ownership leads the way and it's great and all that stuff. But I still think that the most important two things in any organization today, and on some teams, it's it's a little, you know, you might argue that, well, in Tennessee, maybe I would say it's Vrabel Tannehill. Uh, and in Kansas City, 
maybe you'd say it's even, you know, Mahomes and, and Andy Reid. But in Cincinnati, I'd say it's Burrow and then Zach, Zach Taylor. I, I, but I just think those two things are a little bit more important than ownership. Just while you're on it with Gudikins, do you think there, there was a moment where he knew, okay, it's time, like uh, a turning point or a, I don't know, like when, when did they mentally get to that place of let's trade Aaron Rodgers? Cause they, they, they could have done it the last two off seasons. They, they didn't take their bounty of first round picks, whatever. Do you remember, Hey Tyler, do you remember when, uh, when Adam Schefter reported one weekend, I think in the playoffs, maybe late January that I expect the Packers to consider trading Aaron Rodgers, blah, blah, blah. This is real, whatever, all that stuff he said. And I forget exactly what it was, but it was clear that, you know, the Rubicon had been crossed. Adam is not going to report that stuff uh, based on innuendo. And I think what the Packers were starting to realize is exactly like Brett Favre was in the early off season of 2008 after the bitter playoff championship loss to the Giants. I think they were realizing that Favre was going home to Hattiesburg and they would see him for mandatory minicamp the first weekend of June, and they wouldn't see him until then. And they had a quarterback who they believed in who was entering his fourth year, and it was time to bleep or get off the pot with him. So they made the bold thing, hey, if you want to be in the off-season program and you want to tell us for sure that, you know, in early March you're going to be back, you're our guy. If not, we're moving on. And that's when Favre retired. And I think early on this offseason, they said, look, it was a disaster last year when Rodgers wasn't involved in the care and feeding of the new rookies. And once they determined, once they couldn't even talk to Rodgers, I think they just said, enough. We got to go. We got to move on. And they did the right thing. It's not always the popular thing, but it's the right thing. Anybody else have uh, some questions here? We've got folks all over the country. I've got one. Um, Peter, I'm just wondering if you know or have a feel for how close Baltimore and Lamar Jackson came to not getting a deal done. I don't really think that close. Yeah. Because Lamar saw... Nobody out there wanted him. And again, that's that's a startling thing to say. And I do think there's one team that should have gone after him hard and made a huge mistake in not doing so, and that is Washington. Uh, because Lamar would have been motivated to stick it up the Ravens' rear end. Uh, the Ravens, I think, depending on whether the contract was built to be exceedingly hard to match. I think there's a chance the Ravens would not have matched and would have let him go and taken the two ones. But when Lamar found out essentially that nobody out there wanted him, and nobody wanted to sacrifice what it would take to get him. I think he knew that he he basically had to make the best deal he could. And honestly, he made what I think is an absolutely fabulous deal. I I just think he he got far more than I ever thought he was gonna get. And I think part of that is 
the Ravens felt an incredible pressure or felt incredible pressure to, to re-sign him and also felt like they had a contending team right now. And I'm sure what Eric DaCosta would have done is, you know, if they did let him go, uh, would would have been to take a quarterback this in this year's draft and to try to get him ready to play early on. Thing that I think there's a good chance that would have happened, just my opinion, I think they would have gone out and signed a, a guy like Matt Ryan and would have given him the reins for one year while they got another, you know, their quarterback of the future ready. But, you know, there's one thing right now that, I think we we all have to acknowledge about Lamar Jackson. Okay. And and again, Lamar Jackson, incredible 2019 season, uh a fantastic, charismatic, uh magic man kind of season. But the fact is that Lamar Jackson has won one playoff game in his Baltimore career. In five seasons, one game. In the last two game, last two seasons, he has missed 30, whatever, 34, 35% of the offensive plays that Baltimore has played. And when he has played, 33 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. Okay, but hardly the kind of money that you think you're going to, you know, they paid him more than Kansas City paid Mahomes. And so, there's still some questions about Lamar Jackson right now, in my opinion. And would I like to have him on my team? Absolutely. But do I think he's an absolute sure thing? I don't. I I I got to see it a little bit more. Um, and I saw it for a couple of years, 19 and 20, two consecutive years now, injured and played okay, but hasn't been great. So we need to we need to see it now. I really thought that Dan Snyder was going to stick his middle finger to the NFL, just give Lamar Jackson all the guaranteed money he wants, make the Washington Commanders look all pretty, and then sell him off. I, I, that that seemed like the team to me too when that was all going on in February. Here's what here's what I thought was going to happen. I thought there were going to be an intermediary be, between Snyder. And Josh Harris to say, uh, I'm going to leave you with a franchise quarterback, but, uh, and I'm going to, we're going to sign him, we're going to do all this. But now with a franchise quarterback and a 27 year old guy, whatever Lamar is, 26, uh, I'm going to leave you with a long term quarterback, which you don't have right now. So instead of being 6.05 billion, it's now going to be 6.3 billion. And so, but, and again, maybe conversations like that did happen. I don't know, but I, I do know that Washington is, I don't know. I still think they're in the muck and mire of NFL teams. I think that's fascinating to not to beat a dead horse with this Lamar point, but when the whole thing went down, I felt like it it kind of smelled to me like the NFL teams were colluding in some sort of way to not give him the guaranteed contract that Deshaun Watson got because they didn't want to be, I think, saddling themselves down the line when they had to pay their own. So it was seemingly to me like a, you know, nod, nod, wink, wink. Hey, let's not go and trade for Lamar so they can keep their guy and then we don't have to pay a hundred percent guaranteed fully, you know, fully guaranteed contract to our guy three years down the line when he's going to be due. Did that have anything to do with it in your mind? Or was it basically just nobody was interested? Here's my question for you. If Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert or uh, Patrick Mahomes were free agents and they were demanding a totally guaranteed contract or Jalen Hurts coming off last year, and they were demanding a totally guaranteed contract. Do you think that some team, just one team, that's all it would take, one team would have given them a totally guaranteed contract? 
Sure. And I think the answer to that is absolutely unequivocally. Yes, absolutely. Somebody would have. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Burrow and Herbert. Uh, They'll get their money and they'll probably get more than anybody has signed for to this point. But I just have said it over and over again and nobody ever listens. Just please look at Lamar Jackson, the player over the last two years and in the month of January. It, you know, one playoff win in five years. The last two years, it's been injured significantly in both years. You want to give that player a totally guaranteed uh, $270 million contract? That's, that's insane. It's insane. Now, obviously, I think the Deshaun Watson contract was crazy, but I know why they did it. You know why they did it. Cleveland Browns were not getting Deshaun Watson. I think I said Deshaun Jackson, sorry. Uh, the Cleveland Browns were not getting Deshaun Watson unless they did something like that. In fact, they were told they were the first phone call by Deshaun Watson. I'm not interested. Thanks a lot for your interest. Uh, I'm going and I'm going to sign with another team. I'm going to make an agreement with another team. Okay, fine. <clears throat> so later that night, next morning, whenever it was, Browns call him and say, hey, what if you what if we totally guaranteed your contract? Well, now that's a different story. So, but uh, I just, I don't think that if you look at a guy who's missed a third of the playtime because of injury in the previous two years and hasn't played that well, that great when he was healthy, I just would ask the question, would you like to be the general manager who goes to your owner and says, we got to hand him for the next five years, a totally guaranteed contract for $52 million a year. I mean, I just, I'll just say this, that general manager would not be with that team in three years. I don't know though. Like a lot of general managers, they're going to get, they're going to be fired regardless. Like they are going to live in that purgatory of seven and 10, eight and nine, you know, retreads, trying to draft somebody who it's a, it's a crap shoot. At least Lamar Jackson, you know, he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's got the pelts on the wall. Uh, I, th- I, th- I thought it would have been worth it for one of these teams. One of the 32, I thought would be desperate enough to say to hell with it. Here's the blank check. Uh, I'll go down swinging with you. Uh, yeah. I, I'm shocked that not, that anybody took that bait. I I don't I I'm not shocked at all. I think it would have been lunacy for a team to totally guarantee a contract to a guy with his resume in the last two years. Well, you've covered the NFL a lot longer than me, Peter. So I'll, I'll uh, I'm going to let you have the final I mean, on that one. <laughs> your opinion is worth the same as mine. All I can say is I vehemently disagree with your opinion and but there's a lot of people who have your opinion who share your opinion i just don't happen to be one of them anybody else have uh i mean this has been amazing you're just such a wealth of insight peter you've been unbelievable does anybody else have anything here before we uh bid him farewell get on with his life any good beers in germany you tried uh this beer right here called Stiegel from Salzburg. Uh, it's like if you're in Salzburg, just imagine being in St. Louis and going out to a bar, you're going to have to have a bud. Well, if you're in Salzburg, you got to have a Stiegel. And I really became a fan of the, the little Stiegel Pilsner. Uh, reminded me very much of like a uh um you know like one of those italian pilsners and so i like that beer uh but as somebody over there said when i was at one bar last wednesday or thursday 
you know, what do you recommend? They said, everything's good. So, you know, I'm sure that no matter what I ordered, and I had a couple of of vice beers because I'm a big wheat beer fan, and they were all good. It was it was just a very pleasant, relaxing time over drinking through Germany and Austria. <laughs> so we all love Spotted Cow, but is there a beer in Wisconsin that's a little underrated in your book? You've been, you know, I don't know because I, I mean, this is terrible, but I just drink the cow almost every time I go. (laughs) So, and I know there's a lot of good new ones too. So I'll be determined. You know what I'm going to do, Tyler? I'll tell you exactly what I'll do. I'm going to be at, uh, at the, uh, at Lodge Kohler one night uh, in August. And I'm going to try a couple of different ones and I will report to you. We're going to hold you to it. I mean, yeah. Moon Man is solid. New Glarus. I mean, Hinterland has been blowing up out there. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while yeah. since I was out there, but there's there's so many. It's Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh let's line up our trips. Hopefully, uh, I can catch you out there in Green Bay and we'll uh we'll do it together. We'll, we'll, Hopefully, we'll set hey, up some flights. Listen, thanks for uh for having me and I appreciate being on with you and your your people. Thank you, Peter. That was amazing. Uh, welcome any day, anytime. Thank you so much for. Thank you. Right. Thanks. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, everybody. from McDonald's, your brain may not like how refreshingly cold it is, but the rest of your body, oh yes, it's gonna relish every moment of it because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Get all the chill you need for just $1.69 from any size frozen drink, like a frozen Fanta Blue Raspberry, to a new ice-cold lemonade. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. ba da ba ba 